Right, what we have seen in the, uh, the study of the laws of B'nai Noach have been the following um, important points. Um, number one, of course, we initially saw the fact that uh, the Noahide laws, in order for one to have a place in the world to come, must be observed because one believes that they were revealed at Mount Sinai by God to Moses, and that that, in fact, went on right thereafter um, to uh, those laws to be given to non-Jews as well. One must believe that, we said. We did see uh, questions of Christianity. If that is considered to be uh, a Noahide religion or not. Last week we saw the question of abortion, homosexuality, uh, and the court system. And we asked if American society, leaving out Christianity, is a Noahide society. That's online for anyone who missed it. Um, what we're going to look at this evening uh, is a continuation uh, of, of some issues that come up by the Noahides that are brought up in the 10th parak. But first, before we do that, let me raise the following point. Did you ever wonder, you know, there's seven Noahide laws and there's 613 commandments. Isn't that a little, uh, you know, unusual, the whole, the whole contrast there between 7 and 613? You might say, okay, if this had 100 and then 150, uh, okay, I understand. So Jews have a few more, Shabbos, Yantif, whatever, Kashrut. But it's like a, a wipeout, you know. Non-Jews, 7. Jews, 613. Oh, just, and if we see mitzvot as opportunities to serve Hashem especially, um, it would seem somewhat strange that the Noahides are limited to seven. On the other hand, uh, Noahides seem to have it very easy, right? If you have a place in the world to come, we said, if you keep your Noahide laws within the certain restraints that the Rambam gave to them, so then you, you, you are okay, seven Noahide laws. So sometimes, I don't know if anyone ever says here, um, we have people here sometimes who are you know, in, the, in the midst of conversion, that um, maybe it's safe to say with the seven, you know. And I, I respect people who convert because, you know, for those of us on the other side, I'm not speaking for myself necessarily, but, you know, you might say, like, you know, it, it's one thing, I wouldn't give up that, all these things now, but if you had to choose, you know, it'd be nice to eat out of Burger King. You know, what's wrong with that? Uh, anyways. <laughs> I don't know. So, uh, so, so, in any way, we have we have these issues um, that the, the numbers game seems to be so huge in favor of, of Judaism. But let me point out, there's a very beautiful work written by um, Aaron Lichtenstein, not to be confused by Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, who is the Rosh Hashiva of uh, Yeshiva Saretzi on Eretz Yisrael. This is a doctor, Aaron Lichtenstein. He wrote a whole study on the seven Noahide laws. You, you can probably still get it. It's very fascinating. Relevant to us in his conclusions, uh, part of the purpose of his book was to point out that the Noahide laws should really be seen as more branches, kind of categories, as opposed to just individual laws. And, and he gives various examples. The, the most clear cut that we can understand is that while one of the Noahide laws is that you cannot have improper sexual relationships. That's one, right, of the seven. Can't have improper sexual relationships. But if we were Jews and we were counting, we would say, okay, you can't commit adultery. You can't have a relationship with your mother. Can't have a relationship with your sister. Can't have a relationship with your daughter. Can't have a relationship with an animal. Can't have a relationship with another man if you're a man. Okay, and so on. That went up right there, add up right there to six, and he adds up, he ends up to ten the way he does it. So as it happens, he uh, takes his own tally throughout this analysis that he does, and he concludes that under theft you have actually 16 laws for Noahides. Justice, under Dinim you have 19. Homicide, you only have one. 
Illicit intercourse, 10. Limb of a living creature, 2. Idolatry, 10. Blasphemy, 8. Add it up. He points out that you actually, if you get specific, you would have 66 Noahide laws versus 613 Tower law, so it becomes more of a ten to one ratio. Oh, good, mm. very good. So that's his next uh, line of reasoning from there. So it's six thirteen to sixty six. Then he says, "Well, wait a minute. Exactly as you said, of the six thirteen, so we know the Chavetz Chaim wrote a work that indicated that only two hundred and seventy one are actually relevant today." All right. So, you know, yes, it's true, ideally, but in most of Jewish history, it's been a question of 271 to 66, which makes it more ratio 4 to 1. We're really getting close here. All right. And, of course, don't forget, the Rambam said that a non-Jew who wants to keep a mitzvot is allowed to, with the exception of Shabbos, with the exception of Talmud Torah. Generally speaking, a non-Jew who wants to keep mitzvot is allowed to keep them. So, so that in mind, I'm saying the, the distance between the two, in a sense, is not as far as perhaps we would have initially have thought. Yes. In Warsaw, I don't know for a fact, but I'm guessing that the Chavetz Chaim's 271 is the total maximum possible nowadays, right? Uh, that, that it would include those that Kohanim still uh, are subject to, and there are various other categories of people, only men or only women, only this and that. So if we would narrow down to any particular individual, uh-huh. it's like a lot less. If we look at the, Very good. Uh, the, you know, the seven, most of those, in one way or another, you know, would, would probably apply, not necessarily, but... Right, they, I mean, right. Very good point. So what, when I have 613 commandments, what do you mean I have 630 commandments? I love women commandments. I love Cohen commandments. I love lady commandments, even those who are relevant today. Very good point. And a woman doesn't have male commandments. So there's no doubt it's even, in a sense, less. I mean, I know if I can say I have 66, and you don't really have 271, you individually. You don't have 271. That's the total of Kalei Yisrael. As an individual, you have many, many less that. And we can even do an analysis of that. That's a good point. So again, the contrast is not as great as initially one would have thought. However, there are still distinctions, and we're going to start looking at them now. If we look at the 10th parak, on the left-hand side, right? The 10th parak of uh, the Rambam in Hilchas Malachim, he, believes, he be- begins it by saying as follows. Ben Noach sheshagag biachat mimitzvotav. A Noachide who uh, violated accidentally one of his commandments, an accidental violation. Listen to this language. Pator miklum. Pator miklum. Very strange, it seems to me. We usually say, so-and-so does this. He's pater, right? He's pater. He's not obligated, it means. He didn't violate. He's, he didn't, uh, he doesn't get punished. He's pater. Here it says, pater miklum. Literally, you could say it means he's pater from nothing. He gets off of, the, of nothing. He's obligated. Even if he, but it's not that what it means. That's not what it means. Receiver goes on. It doesn't mean that. It means, in fact, he is pater from everything. He has no... A violation whatsoever. Ben Noach, a Noachite who accidentally did something, we'll see in a moment, is not punished, is not liable for sinning. Alright? Chutz, because he says except for one case. We'll see, except for one case where he is. Chutz may rotseach bishkaga, with the exception of someone who murdered someone accidentally. In other words, as we know, cases in the Talmud, you accidentally fell off a ladder. You accidentally knocked something down and killed someone. It was an accident. Shim hargu goel adam. In that case, 
if the what we call the redeemer of blood, for those who do not know, in Jewish law, someone who kills someone accidentally is subject to the relative of that person he killed being able to kill him. If, there are different ways to look at it, but let us put it this way, if he leaves the year Miklot, if you kill someone accidentally, you have to run to what's called a refuge city. It was an accident, we understand, but yet you killed someone. Just don't get off and go back to living your life. You have to run into, go into exile, as it were, leave your home and go into a refuge city. If you come out of that home, you're subject to be killed. Alright? If the Goel Hadam, the uh, Redeemer, this relative, because his blood is boiling, the Talmud says, he's upset, you killed my relative. How could so if he kills that person, he is not, you know, he, he's allowed to kill that person. Right? He says... If this relative killed him, the one who killed him would not be put to death. Even though, what do you mean? Why, how could you kill the guy? He was, it was an accident. A Ben Noah who kills someone by accident doesn't get killed, uh, except for this case, the Rabbim says. This case, the Goel Adam law, apparently even goes by non-Jews. This idea of that it's permitted for a relative to kill someone who killed somebody by accident, if you don't, he would, he would, um, he would be able to kill him, and he would not get the uh, a penalty for killing him, even though the person who did it was an accident. And uh, usually, you know, Achayis is free in an accident case. Acha is converted to Rav Moshe Feinstein's means. And he says, Ve'en lo ir miklat. We're going to stop here for this evening. And um, again, we'll continue next week. We've observed Jews. So even among great halakhic authorities, you can have who is a Jew. And people like the Reformed Conservative Orthodoxy, you can have who is a Jew among halakhic authorities. Although, even though I follow our Salvation Jew in general, I would recognize someone who has parents are observant, so this child will be raised in a Jewish household, keeping all the mitzvot, and we, we convert the child, and that will be good. That will be something that, that's good for him. All right? But if a child is going to be raised in a non-observant home, how do you, what are you going to convert him? That he's going to violate Chavez? He's going to violate Kashri? He's going to, Ram says there too, you must give up your life, because otherwise it looks like non-Jews can make you give up on a Jewish value. Right? They can't. You have to give your life. If it's in public. If it's in public, not in private. If it's in public. Right, so these are examples, right, where a Jew must give up his life. Again, it's a very difficult thing. A Noachite, off the hook. A Noachite, the Rambam says, no. Mutar lo lavor. He does not have to give up his life. Yacholim chot b'shat sheyagdil. He is capable of um, refusing, right, his conversion when he becomes an adult. And he can decide then to be a Ger Toshav. So where we said someone who converted to Judaism cannot go back. However, a child who has not yet grown, who is at that threshold right now of choice, he can decide that, you know what, I understand I'm allowed to decide that uh, if I don't want to observe all the commandments, and um, I, would, I, I don't like, I don't want to be Jewish. He, he has a right to do it, because even though we could convert him when he was a child, he didn't know, but when he does know, he has a right to voice his opinion. That, as opposed to an adult who converts to Judaism and says, I accept all the mitzvot and so on, and I fully accept it, right, and that's required. For a child, right, a child, let's say if you're converting, you have little children, right, they can be converted to Judaism. How can they be converted? They can't accept mitzvot. They don't know what mitzvot are. Who are you kidding? What are you, I'm going to keep Shabbos. I'm going to keep all the mitzvot in the Torah. What are you, who are you kidding? They can't do that. So, so how, how, how can you convert your kids? And what, the adults convert, the kids don't? That's impossible. So we have a notion called 
the guy with Alpi Beitim, we convert a child through a court. And this works through a principle that's known as Zakin La'adam Shalobafanov. That you can do something meritorious for a person even if he doesn't know about it. Because since it's in his favor, he would want it to happen. Now, by this case of conversion, there are huge debates even to this day. Okay? Rav Soloveitchik followed the view that many others followed that you can only convert a child to Judaism if the parents are going to be observant Jews. Otherwise, what do you mean, as we use the principle, right, we said, you can do something that's a benefit for a person, that's meritorious for a person, even if he doesn't know about it. All right? All right? Adopting a child. So that's not a marriage for him. It's better should be a Noahide, keep his seven laws, have a place in the world to come, than be a Jew who's going to violate all his commandments because he's not going to be educated properly, and he's not going to have a place in the world to come. All right? That's the general view that's told by many and the majority of Postkim. However, there is a minority view of Uziel and others who hold, and by the way, I should not just say Ravuziel, wait a minute, Ramosha Feinstein. Ramosha Feinstein also. These views held that if, that it is a merit to be a Jew, and that Jewish parents are more giving than non-Jews, has been proven by like, you know, tzedakah, uh, polls that they have taken, you know, people give Sadaka who are Jews more than no Jews, federations versus other uh, type of organizations who collect money. Jews give a lot of Sadaka, Jews are known as Bali Chesed, as well, people who are loving and kind, right? And that that itself, to be raised in that family, is a greater merit than being raised in a Noahide family and a non Jewish family, and therefore these views hold this is sufficient. Now, Ramosha Feinstein held that, yeah, it is sufficient. He was lenient. However, they must be given a day school yeshiva education where there he felt that at least there's the possibility by the rabbis and the teachers telling them all the mitzvot and raising that way in school that that at least would create an atmosphere where the child could become an observant Jew. As opposed to if they say we're not sending them to a day school, then forget it. Alright? But anyway, in that case as well, so you have situations where you can, you can benefit a child, right, even if they don't know about it. And we have this, again, this is a debate today where a child who is, according to Moshe Feinstein's view, if a child is converted, but the parents aren't observant, but they send them to Yeshiva Day School, if Yeshiva Day School is if they would accept such a child, Moshe said that child's Jewish then. Where Soloveitchik's view would be that child is not Jewish. One more item I should point out here as well with the, with the, the notion of age and responsibility and so on is this. Is there a notion of chinuch, of education, by Noahides? We have an obligation, those of us who are parents, right, to train our children in doing mitzvahs at the point when they can be trained. So two or three, you teach them Shema Yisrael, we know. And a little older, you teach them a little Torah. And as they get uh, even older, right, so when they're six or seven, that's kind of the next uh, uh, age that we present. At age six or seven, so you have them start doing mitzvahs if they can daven, if they can and they say that they can bench whatever they can do at that age until eventually they practice until they're capable what about B'nai Noach is there an age where after you start training them so it's interesting I saw that the, the simple view is that well no because um, I mean they don't have a mitzvah because that would be again one of their mitzvahs and there are no rabbinic laws that obligate them to educate I mean there's no, there's no obligation Right? On the other hand, you would think, well, what, he just suddenly becomes obligated? I mean, even though he has seven Noah, I lost for 66, but shouldn't he be trained in them, being taught by his 
parents like maybe it's like Rabbi Berloff said as well here that it would depend on the individual if you see the individual is, is ready and of course you want to have a place in the world to come by keeping these laws it would make sense at the age where they're capable of keeping them you start to educate them I guess that would be the case yeah uh, also the kind of chinuch that we do at that young age are not the things that the Noachites are obligated in right there's a more moral right moral ethical right standard. which requires a more mature uh huh uh-huh. level uh huh as opposed to okay. just like when you eat say a blessing and it becomes kind of road every day right. before you eat say a blessing this is more like don't worship idols. You know, they might even be relevant mm-hmm. to them. You know, or again, don't. Are you going to tell them you can't allow to have relations with your mother, with your sister, with your? You can't commit adultery. At what age do you tell them that? Eight, nine. I mean, it seems a little like you need. Uh, it could be even if you're saying further. You know, a maturity to understand it. Uh-huh. Okay, that's a good point. Anybody else? A gibble. Again, fascinating halacha. Listen to this. Ben Noach Shenikayer Umal Bitaval. A Ben Noach, a Noachite, who converted to Judaism. Alright? And he was circumcised and he immersed in a mikvah, he or she. Immersed in a mikvah. Find anything strange about this? Just this language? Anything strange? And he was? A Ben Noach who converted and was circumcised and immersed in a mikvah. What's strange about that? Not not a but those are requirements. What do you mean? What do you mean? Who converted? Oh, and he also immersed in a mikvah yeah. and circumcised. What, what do you mean? And also, and just say you converted. A bad noach who converted. Period. Well, what, what do you mean? I knew reformed was coming. Well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, Rambam already could you say could envision. And when I say conversion, I mean circumcision. I mean the immersion. Of course, the main thing is accepting of mitzvot. It's just a strange thing. Why does he say it like that? I, I could suggest an answer. In a moment, I will. Hold on. Let's go on. He says, so a, a Noach who converts, And then he wants to turn from God. Interesting, again. And he wants to just be a Ben Noach again, who admits a Ben Toshav, we said, is someone who accepts the laws in front of a tribunal of three. Therefore, it's more formalized. He's a Toshav, We have a relationship to, to love him and everything else, just like a Jew. Mm-hmm. All right? And so, let's say he says, look, I don't want to be a Jew anymore. I tried it. You know, too tough. You're right. Rabbi, you're right. It was too tough. I should have stayed on the other side. Too difficult. All right? So he wants to go back. Look how it says, Lachzor Meachari Hashem. He wants to return from God. What do you mean? I thought being a Ben Noach is also a, a way of serving God. And yet he wants to turn away from God. Apparently the intensity of the Jewish commitment is, is something to be noted. Okay? Um, so he says if a person wants to do that, like he was before, become a Noachite again, ain't show mean low. Sorry. Don't allow it. Rather, he has to be like a Jew for everything, or he'll be killed. In other words, the guy says, I don't want to keep Shabbos anymore. Like in the time when we had a Sanhedrin and the death penalty. The guy says, guys, just so you know, I'm giving it up, so don't 
kill me here when you see me violating Shabbos because I'm, I'm, not a, I'm not a Jew anymore. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, you can't do that. He says, well, I'm doing it. You'll be killed. You're still a Jew. Sorry. You can't get rid of it now. Sorry. Can't get rid of it. Do do something by accident. It's a sin. You realize that. A Jew who violates Shabbos by accident, it's a sin. A Jew who does something, who ate non-kosher by accident, it's a sin. It's an absolute sin. The only thing is, it's an accidental sin. So don't go crazy. It's an accidental sin. You have to do tshuva. You have to repent. Uh, the only thing you wouldn't have to repent on, we, we hold, although Rabbi Kibbeger says you wouldn't have to repent on this, what's known as uh, mitasek. So, you know, there's something in halacha called mitasek, which is even less than shogeg, less than accident. In other words, let's say on Shabbos, I lean against the wall, and the light goes on. What is going on? What, what? That's not even, that's not on purpose. That's not even an accident. That's not even called an accident. Who leans, usually you lean against the wall, a light doesn't go on. I, mean, I don't mean you went against the switch. You went against the wall. You, you leaned on this table and the light goes on. So what's going on here? So that's not even called by accident. That's called mitasek. You were just involved in something normally totally innocent and it resulted in a malacha happening. You are not even seen as being tied to that malacha. Okay? Yes. Yeah. better example is you walk down the street and the light goes on. You didn't know there was a photo cell there. Or motion Okay. Let's presume you didn't know. Right. I guess next week, though, you knew. Right. So that's true. That's true, though. You didn't know this would happen. You're just walking down the street. What the heck? You walk on the street and light goes on. What, what, you know, it happens for some houses, but it's not the usual course of events. So uh, once you know, you try to avoid it. But otherwise, yes, good point. Okay. Next, Salacha. Again, something different for Ben Noach, Halacha Beth. Ben Noach, She'anso Anas La'avor Alachat Me'mitzvotav. Someone who is threatened by a non-Jew, a Ben Noach is, to violate one of his laws. So someone holds a knife to the, a non-Jewish throat and he says, you bow down to this idol or I kill you. Now we all know, or many of us know, that in Jewish law, this is what's called the mitzvah of Kiddush Hashem and the mitzvah of Chil Hashem. That you are required to give your life in certain circumstances for God. Even though life in Judaism is the most precious thing, there are times you must give your life. The big three are the main examples, what we call the big three, idolatry, forbidden sexual crimes of adultery and incest, and the case of murder. If you are threatened to violate one of these laws, violate or will kill you, you must be killed. You cannot violate those laws. Okay, you cannot desecrate God's name. You must sanctify God's name and not desecrate it. Any other law, if you are in public, you must also be killed. Someone says, eat this cheeseburger, I'm going to kill you. You must not eat the cheeseburger. If it's in public, in front of ten other people. Some say ten other Jews, ten other people. If it's in public, you must die. If it's in private, you're allowed to save your life. All right, and the Rambam says also in those laws, the Gemara says that something that's a minhag, even something that's just a custom, there is no refuge city in the case of a Noahide who kills. In other words, he just has to be on the run his whole life. There's a special dispensation for a Jew. But yet the courts of non-Jews can in no way kill a person who is a Noahide who accidentally killed someone. Now. He goes on to say, What are we talking about? The Rambam says, "Bishagag We're talking about he accidentally violated one of his Noahide laws, and he violated it without intent. Like what? Kigon Shabal Eshet 
like if he had relations with uh, his fellow's wife, the Dimashihi Ishto, and he thought that it was his own wife. You say, how could that happen? Oh, Rachel Leah. Wait a second. Wait a second. You had a case in this last week's parsha where where someone thought it was one woman and it was another woman. So it's possible, right? It's dark. You don't know. It's being done in a very sneadicken, sneadicken way. You know, not a lot of talking. Even Noah guys could strive for that level, and there's not a lot of talking going on. It, it turns out it can happen. Trust me, it can happen. All right. It's an identical twin. Whatever. It, you know, it happened. So. As a result, you might think the person in that case, would he get the death penalty? No, that's a case where it was an accident. He would not get the death penalty. Penuya, or if the woman was single, right? The person thought it was the woman was single and she was married. Now, you know there are cases like that where a woman takes off her wedding ring or she wants to have a nice time so she, she passed herself off as if she's single and she was really married. Why did she tell me you were married? All right? And we had, you know, Avram and uh, Yitzhak in a case like that as well. All right? But so, so basically, um, here too, the person had intent to do it properly, but it was an accident. It turned out he did it improperly. So those cases he would not get killed. But if he knew that this woman was married to his friend, but he didn't know you're not allowed to commit adultery. He didn't know the law. He didn't know the law, all right? He thought adultery is permitted. Or one other case, he thought you're allowed to kill. He killed someone. He thought you're allowed to kill. He didn't know Noahide laws forbid you from killing. In that case, that's called an accident also. He didn't know. He didn't know. On Shabbos, we have this by Jews, that, for example, if you committed a certain act and you thought it was permitted on Shabbos, you didn't know. You didn't know it was, for, it was, permi- you didn't know it was forbidden. Or you didn't know it was Shabbos. You thought it was Tuesday. That's called an accident. For Jews. That's called an accident. But in this case, if you didn't know that you're not allowed to kill someone, for example... That is not called an accident. That's called close to being on purpose, being done, you know, not accidentally. That's not called an accident. Basic fundamental moral laws, you had a duty to study and to learn. This is civilization here, right? You have a duty to know basic laws. You don't know basic laws, no excuse. And thereby that's not called an accident, and you would be killed for that because that's called you did it on purpose. But, you know, you say accidentally he didn't know the woman was married, she took off her wedding band, whatever. But you're not supposed to have relations unless you're married. So... No, but by Abed Noah, first of all, can have relations out of marriage. There's no law in his Noahide laws. Yeah, he just can't commit adultery. He can't, you know, have homosexuality, can't commit incest, but he's allowed to have marriage out of wedlock. And realize that even for a man, uh, for a Jew, excuse me, who has marriage out of wedlock, it's not the death penalty. You know, you know what I'm saying? It's not, no one considers that to be like the evil of incest and adultery. So that, so even if, so that is not considered to be one of the, the forbidden sexual acts of Ben Noah. Alright? But here we have the general rule being given by the Rambam that a non-Jew who commits something accidentally, he is not considered for that to get the death penalty. He gets another chance. It's only if he violated on purpose. If only, it's only if he violated would seem 
on purpose. Now, let me ask you a question. Look at the previous law, the first law on the left-hand column. We had done this last week. The laws of justice that applied to a Noahide court. It had said there that a Ben Noah is, is, um, is guilty even if he doesn't have a warning. Even if he doesn't have a warning. In Jewish law, you have to have a warning. When someone's about to kill someone, you have to yell out. There have to be two witnesses. They have to yell out, don't kill him. The Torah says you're not allowed to kill. If you kill him, you'll get the death penalty. A Ben Noah does not get such a, an opportunity to save himself. He does not get a warning. He just kills someone. Oh, you killed him, but he didn't... Oh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. The you killed someone, you get the death penalty. No warning. Okay, no warning. But let me ask you, you know what the purpose of a warning is? Okay. One view of the Gemara says, the purpose of a warning, it says, the Hatrali comes, the whole purpose of a warning, some might say, it's a deterrent, right? If you give a warning, oh, I'll think twice. Oh, I've been caught. If you get this, you're going to get killed. If you do this, you're going to get killed. So who would do it now, knowing that he's been caught, and you're telling me you're going to get killed, so you've got to be a fool to now do it. I'm caught, so I won't. I, I'll stop, and I won't get killed. I'll do it some other day, but not today. I've been caught. Okay? But others say, no, no, the reason for a warning is not as a, as a deterrent. The reason for a warning is simply to distinguish between is the person doing it by accident or on purpose. Whereas I can't look into a guy's head. I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe, maybe he, he thinks this guy did something to him. Maybe he doesn't realize the penalty for violating Shabbos is death. Maybe he doesn't realize, you know, what he's doing is, is so wrong. But by giving him a warning and saying, you know the Torah says you can't do this. If you violate this, you're going to get the death penalty. Then the person, in fact, is required to respond according to the Talmud. Look how far we go to avoid the death penalty. I know, and I do it anyway, he has to say. So it's clear cut. I heard you. How's the death penalty? Yep, I hear what you're saying. I don't care. I'm doing it anyway. Fine, we bring him to court. There's no issue here. You know, first degree, second degree. He knew what he was doing. He admitted he knew what he was doing. He did it. We gave him time to think about it. He didn't listen. He went on anyway. Gets the death penalty. Okay? That's the purpose of a warning. Alright? To distinguish between Shogeg and Mezid. Right? Now, the Rabbah says, it would seem, that there's a difference because he says if he did it for Shogeg, if a non Jew did it accidentally, he doesn't get killed. Right? He doesn't get killed. So you would think there should be a warning by a non-Jew too because we want to know is he doing it on purpose or he did it by accident if he did it on purpose he gets the death penalty if he did it by accident then according to Noah Chaimah the Rambam says he doesn't get the death penalty and yet the Rambam says he does not get a warning he does not need a warning well why does he need a warning if you want to make distinctions between on purpose and accidental then there should be a need for a warning this is asked in fact by the Lecha Mishnah one of the major commentaries on the Rambam he seems to say again it doesn't make sense like we just said he says, it's, it's difficult. Because if you don't need a warning, the Rambam himself says you need a warning to distinguish, excuse me, that the purpose of warning is to distinguish between accident and purpose. And here the Rambam says that Ben Noach doesn't need a warning, which seems to say we don't care how he did it, he still gets the death penalty. And yet the Rambam says, no, we do care. If he did it by accident, well, how are you going to know he did it by accident if he didn't have a warning? So the answer to the Lecha Mishnah is, what we're being told is, that unless you know for sure he did it on purpose, you consider that he cannot get the death penalty. 
He must, you must know for sure he did it on purpose. I'm doing this. I, I want to kill him. I don't know the law. I'm doing whatever. I'm doing it totally with that intent, maliciously. Unless you knew that, he would not get the death penalty. That's what the Lech Mishnah says. Now that's the Rambam to you, as we understand it. You should know, the Lech Mishnah says that according to Rashi and his sources, Rashi holds the Ben Noach gets the death penalty even if he didn't know. It was an accident. But I thought she was single. Okay. Guess what? No second chances. Jews have 613 laws. They get special dispensation. You know, they got a lot to worry about. You don't have so much to worry about. you got seven laws. You can't handle seven laws. You've got to be careful. You've got to check these things out. You've got to look more carefully. Rashi says, you still get the death rate, even if it's by accident, if you are a Noahide. Even if he's told, worship idols. I mean, that's a fundamental here of the faith, even by the Noahides, worshiping idols and God and no God. I mean, no. You can, get, you can worship idols. A non-Jew can worship idols. Why? The Rambam says it's easy to understand because they are not commanded to sanctify God's name in that situation. How do you know they're not commanded? How do you know? No tricks. How do you know? B'nai Yisrael. Okay, but there's an easier way. It's true. Ibrahim says, because the mitzvah's Kiddush Hashem says, B'talk B'nai Yisrael. The Jewish people have to be B'kaddish Hashem. But a more simple way, even. No trick here. More simple way. How do you know they're not commanded? Listen. Oh, the mitzvah oh, people, then there'd be an eighth, there'd be an eighth law. There'd be an eighth law. And you're commanded to die for all these laws. Okay? So you see, they're not commanded on Kiddush Hashem. There's no such thing. Even though, by the way, it's interesting. I mean, I didn't see anyone indicate this, but for example, does a Ben Noach have to pray to God, let's say for food, for sustenance, for protection, for help? I would have said, no, of course not. What do you mean? It's not a of prayer. It doesn't say it to pray. But Rosa Feinstein says in a tshuva that when he was asked about public prayer, he said, yeah, that's something you have to consider. Should we have public prayer? It's very important. He said, Noachites, it seems to him, are obligated in public prayer. In prayer. We may obligate in prayer. That's not one of the mitzvahs. He kind of presumes that with the belief in God, it's not just like a, a scientist's belief, like there's a creator. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the idea that you have a connection with this God. And that connection is certainly expressed in prayer and, 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 and relation, relating with him, which we do through praying. So he suggests that it could be their obligation. I might have thought here that, of course... It's a fundamental idea that if you've been commanded these laws through Moshe Rabbeinu, through God at Har Sinai, that you have to be committed to them fully, to the degree even of, of, of giving up your life. I mean, idolatry versus choosing God. That someone could make you violate. I mean, are you committed to these laws or not? Do you want to place the world to come online or not? I mean, there has to be some, some point where you say, I have a devotion to, to God. But no, the Ram says, no, a non-Jew is not required to do this. So again, you know, converts... You know, they should think. Maybe they say, listen, I, I'll take the easy way out. I'll take the easy way out. Now, in our time, we do not have many times we are required to give up our lives. But uh, you should know that there are times where people are required to do this throughout Jewish history. And um, yet they still converted to Judaism. And, uh, you know, certainly they, they will be rewarded greatly if they had to give up their lives. But the Rambam says this is the law. Leolam, then he goes on. Leolam, Einon Shin Mehen, Lo Katan, Velo Cheresh, Velo Shota, Lefisha Einan Benei Mitzvot. And furthermore, he says, just like by Jews, there is no punishment that can be meted out, that is meted out for a child, for a 
a deaf or uh, a person who can't speak and can't hear, right? And for a, a mentally deranged person, all these people are seen as not being responsible in terms of their uh, ability to fulfill commandments. So, so too, obviously, we cannot expect such of, of such individuals and thereby they're not obligated. Now you should know in our time, but Moshe Feinstein and others have written that a person today, let's say, who can either speak or hear, not lacking both qualities, speak or hear, and furthermore, he says and others say that now we have sign language and lip reading, and and a person who you know can understand such things. Such a person should be trained, absolutely, Ramosha says, in doing mitzvahs. He should be trained in mitzvahs. It's not like in the past, maybe if we didn't have those type of schooling abilities and so. So a person really who had those those deficiencies really could not communicate. You know, couldn't be like today people who are movie stars and people are totally involved in society and have, they have good jobs and so on. It couldn't be done. But um, others say it changed today. But still, you see the basic laws. I have a question here. I really don't understand. Um, it says lokatan. A child is also not obligated in. Um, the Noahide laws. Now, how do you define a child? You see, our idea of 12 and 13 is, let's say, according to the rush, that's what we call the Halacha Lamosha Misenai. That goes back to Mount Sinai, all right, where we were given shiurim, given measurements, like how do you know a kazayat of bread, a revise of wine. You have certain measurements. Now, we said that non Jews don't have a concept of measurements. Right? They're obligated no, no matter what. Unless you want to say, and then I'll call Rabbi Berlo, I mean, the Rambam did say that even Noahide laws were given through Har Sinai. Does that mean, like, Halakha Lamosh Misenai? It can't be that that applies to Noahides. That wouldn't make sense. Anyone have an answer for that? Years yeah, ago, I'm sure, I remember, I think I'm sure I saw in a classical source, it could have been Rambam Elsner even, or another Rishon, that when it comes to non Jews, uh, the uh, age of majority is not. The fixed age is because of what you said, uh-huh. uh, because they don't have those shiurim, but it's a matter of each individual situation when a particular child develops enough maturity. Oh, very interesting, very interesting. So we have a particular age that clarifies for us the age of responsibility. They don't have that age, so it depends on the individual. Very nice, very nice. Okay, because there has to be some answer. I mean, there has to be some, at what time does a Noahide become obligated in his laws? At 12 and 13, it's not, they don't become bar bar mitzvah. They don't celebrate. In other words, we should. We still don't celebrate. Bar mitzvah. But, you know, non Jews also today, you've heard this, have bar bar mitzvahs. You heard about this? Oh, I mean, oh yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Now, it's, uh, it's in the magazines. They see it like it's a coming of age thing that is not part of non Jewish culture. So non Jews will have bar mitzvah parties. They don't go to shul and everything. <laughs> bar mitzvah parties where they have celebrations of become of manhood and womanhood. Yes. They like that idea. So, uh, is that what it is, or is it they like the idea of the president? Yeah, both. <laughs> and, uh, on, the, on the deeper level, this is the idea. To this opening. So Ben Noah, who converted, and he was circumcised, and he was any person of mikvah. What do we mean, hand in hand? Those are his requirements that Rambam has in Hilchot Yisurei Bia. He discussed the laws of conversion. He says these are essential elements of conversion. Why does he put it this way? So strange. So I'll, I'll give you a suggestion, because I really don't know a good answer, but the best I could give you is that there is a case brought down in um, in uh, later halakhic literature, and I think in the 20th century, where in Jerusalem, there was a case of someone who had uh, been circumcised, you know, accepted all the mitzvot, been circumcised, 
but he didn't have time to go to the mikvah, or he had a cut there. You know, he could, it hadn't healed. Usually, it heals very quickly, but uh, it hadn't healed yet. And he, there wasn't time to go to the mikvah. So here comes Shabbos, and he's in shul like he always is, this convert practicing everything. And there was a question. You know, people knew what had happened, and he had a question. He asked, "Should he violate Shabbos like he does? You know, and a, a convert supposed to violate Shabbos, right, by doing one thing or another, right? Because he's not Jewish yet, and he can't keep Shabbos yet." And by the way, if you haven't been doing that, there are those who say he'd have to violate Shabbos. Um, he has to, he'd have to keep Shabbos to keep it according to his notion of a day. Non-Jews, we believe their day is like we have it, like day and night. It's not night and day. You know, I'm seeing like Jews do it from the nighttime to the daytime. But, but in any event, a non-Jew, uh, while studying for conversion, is supposed to violate Shabbos. And it's hard to do because you think you're practicing and everything. So let's do something to still violate Shabbos. All right? So this came up in this in the shul that he, he realized okay that he's now in circumcised except that all the commandments didn't go to the mikveh yet. So you want to know should he still violate Shabbos? So he asked the rabbi of the shul and not like asking me I mean talking about some you know in Jerusalem really great great Tamachacham. He asked him and the rabbi said yeah he should violate Shabbos. Fine. And then it got around town. You know, people were discussing halachic issues. This came up in people's lunch. You know, you know, this would happen the shul today, and and all the other rabbis said, "No, no, it's a mistake. He shouldn't be violating Shabbos. Oh my God, what is he doing? He should be keeping Shabbos already." Now, why? It sounded like the first he was correct, right? I mean, it sounded like he's not Jewish yet. If you have to go into the mikvah and you have to do these things to con- to, to complete the conversion, so he's not Jewish yet. Of course, he's not Jewish yet. The other rabbis held no, that there's a, a middle ground. There's, there's, you're not Jewish, you know, you're Noahide. There's your Jewish, you totally went through conversion. And there's the notion that you, you've already left, if you will, the Noahides, and kind of like you're in the, the realm of what we call Zerah Abraham, the seed of Abraham. So we're like, like months between the time somebody dies and. The month between. The, the time well, there you're just free from doing mitzvot. No, no, I'm not what? talking for the person sitting shit. I'm talking about the person who dies. Someone dies. Doesn't go straight to heaven or straight. Isn't there? He's being judged. He's being judged. He's being so judged. It's that same sort of time. Right, but here, I mean, he's not being judged. I mean, yeah, but he, he's an in-between. It's, he's in an intermediate stage. Yeah. He's in an intermediate stage. All right, and they say that he is no longer to be a Noahide. You know, he's not a Noahide. What do you mean? He's been circumcised like the, the children of Abraham. You know, he's been circumcised, I don't mean just in the hospital. You know, he took that on, a surreal circumcision, and he took on the mitzvot already, you know, that he's capable of doing. And the mikvah is something he has to do, and he's not yet a full Jew, but yet he's in the intermediate stage. So they felt that maybe already a non Jew, it says, a full non Jew, if you will, who violates Shabbos. You know, so, so, so yes, he's required to do so. But someone who's no longer a simple non-Jew, but he's already, if you will, the Zerah Abraham, Avinu, okay, so already the seed of Abraham, already perhaps, maybe he should already be keeping these things. I mean, this was the debate. So I just wondered, looking at this, in the Rambam, if he were saying, a Ben Noach... He's emphasizing. I mean it to someone who converted and to circumcised and was immersed in a mikvah. Don't think I mean, right? Maybe, well, what about a guy who, who converted but he didn't do these things yet? He already accepted the mitzvot and one or the other of these two items, right? And then he wants to go back 
could he still go back? Yes, the Raman Sassim, yes, because he's not a full Jew yet, and yes, he could go back. As opposed to this case I gave you where some held, well, you know, he's already in the intermediate stage, so maybe he should already be keeping Shabbos, as it were. He already left the Noahide realm. So here you might think that if he left the Noahide realm enough that he said, I keep all the commandments, and I've already been circumcised, and said, I already went in the mikvah, I just didn't do the other item yet. Maybe, so maybe in that case, he also can't go back. So I'm suggesting, no, the Rambam says it's only if he converted, I mean fully, with circumcision, with immersion, then he can't go back. Like that's how the Rambam with Paskin, I want to learn from here in that other case. That it has to be full, both of these things, otherwise he's fully still not converted and he can go back. Got me? Mm-hmm. Someone, you know, who, who went to the mikvah, a man, and then they say, okay, all you got to do now is the circumcision. We do it the, use it the other way. But let's say it was done that way. Let's say a person, uh, the doctor said he couldn't be circumcised for a few days. We'll do the mikvah first, though. And then he does the circumcision. All right? Not the usual case. But then he says, oh, you know, uh, I thought about it. You know, circumcision, that I can't do it. But he already went to the mikvah. He already said something so. Rambam is saying, with the view, no, that's no. You could go back. You could go back on that. Okay? All right. Similar to when they take these babies um, and they give them a breast. Oh. And... Hold on. Good, 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 good. That's the next case. The next case, good, the Rambam brings is, if we're talking about a child, and the courts immersed this baby into a mikvah, 